Good afternoon. This is Michael Vandervoort on Drive Through HR, and today is Friday, uh, July. I was going to say June, July twenty second. We're, we're burning through the summer fast. Um, I am recording an episode with a a, a good uh, a good colleague of mine from the HR and labor law legal space, John Hyman. John, welcome to Drive Through HR. Uh, it's good to be back, as always. We appreciate you being here. I guess, I guess me this—that's the royal we, me, me this royal we this week. Um, no, actually, uh, we're going to start doing some uh, labor labor relations and labor law related episodes of Drive Through. Uh, John is going to be our labor relations contributor and a guest co-host uh, as we drop these episodes uh, that he and I are going to do some 30 minute or maybe slightly longer episodes. I like um, to think of myself as a labor relate the, the, the drive through labor relations special correspondent. So when awesome. we get the, when we get the business cards and t-shirts printed up, right. uh, we're going to go, we're going to go with special correspondent for my title. And then we can, and then we can apply for press credentials and then you can get into the ABA legal law sec or labor law sections and stuff for free. Cause you'll be reporting oh snap yes the perks of the perks of the blogging the, the blogosphere perk, the are, perk, fa- are the vast perks of the press pass i've never tried <laughs> i've never tried to leverage i mean i've the blog's been going for 15 years but i've right. never tried to leverage it into pe- into press credentials but i think the time i think the time might be this, right this is this, this yeah it's time for you to grow up stop being a baby blogger and, and get real you got to get your press yeah uh, yeah no um no, no it's, i want to get my fedora and cigar and i'm good to go yeah. <laughs> it was so yeah so it's it's funny that you know over over the years literally i have had actually have had to apply for press credentials which has not, nothing to do with labor relations but it is interesting um but no, it really, you know, the, I mean, it, we're 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 going to do these shows. There's a lot going on in the world of labor relations right now. Um, John is John is hot and heavy in that space, and um, he's been a, a great guest in the past. And I, I thought it would be fun to do some work, so I asked John to join me on these episodes. We're going to do the first one today, and um, and we tried to come up with a creative name for the our our uh, episodes. Right now, it's just Mike and John. I tried to get John to change his name to Mike so that we could do the Mike and Mike show, but that was already taken and copyrighted by ESPN. So have they, that, give, have, have they given that up though? Uh, yeah, they're Mike Greenberg and Mike Golick. Yeah, they 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 had a like a they had like a, a divorce. Oh, they had a huge falling out. But like, yeah. have, have they have they abandoned their copyright? I don't know. I don't know. I didn't look. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, we'll have to check. You're a lawyer. Maybe you can get dig into that. Oh, that's that right. I am. Area. All right. I'll look into that. <laughs> Pro bono work on the behalf of the the, the newly to be launched someday Mike and Mike show. <laughs> there 2. we go. Or anyway. Anyway, so seriously, um, we, we, we were just looking for some way to banter for a minute, uh, at, you know, as as co-hosts. Uh, so that was pit, the pitiful banter for this week that we bring you from Drive Through HR. Um, and uh, we'll hope to hopefully the rest of the conversation will be a bit more uh, professional and useful to you as you listen. Um, we're going to talk about two or three different topics, all all in the world of labor relations, and and uh, and John and I, you know, John, I'm not going to just treat John as a guest; he's a host. So we're going to mostly do conversational, responding back and forth. But I may we may ask some questions of each other. But the the first the first thing we we wanted to talk about, I guess, was the um, in the it is the Starbucks closure of like 16 stores across the United States, um, allegedly under the umbrella of 
safety, safety and insecure, insecure circumstances. And there's a whole litany of stuff that they put out about hypodermic needles and dirty bathrooms, yeah, homeless, you know, homeless people loitering about and yeah. Yeah. And, and other, other issues that would uh, other unsavory issues. Yes. At, at like 16 stores that are spread across the country. And of the 16 stores, I don't know that the, the number I'm going to give you is exactly perfect, but at least three and possibly more of those stores have been part of the 300 plus uh, Starbucks stores across the United States that over the last six months or so have been trying to form labor unions at stores. So, of course, the Starbucks workers union immediately responded with, you know, hue and cry of, you know, union busting and illegal actions, closing the stores under the guise of, you know, safety just to prevent us from forming a union, et cetera, et cetera. Charges have been filed with the National Labor Relations Board. Um, and so on. Um, similar, um, similar circumstances happened with another company that's experiencing uh, union organizing at a couple locations for, for the for the first time. And it's it's another it, it's also in the, the the food service or the it's Chipotle. Chipotle had a store in Augusta, Maine, which I'm not even sure where Augusta is in Maine, but it was a store. I'm, up sure, there. It's I'm sure it's gorgeous in the fall, though. Probably so. And they probably have a lot of seafood around there somewhere, lobsters floating through and all that kind of stuff. Um, but anyway, in Augusta, they had a store and uh, the, 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 the employees at the Chipotle employees at this at this restaurant announced their intention to form a union. Uh, one of the issues that was driving their desire to unionize was lack of staffing. They were being made to work a lot of hours because they were unable to find uh, sufficient staff. And so the, the working conditions were very poor, et cetera, et cetera. And just the, or I think it was earlier this week. Um, or late last week, Chipotle announced that they were closing that store because of their lack of ability to fire, hire people. And so they closed down the store. Um, it is not illegal to the best of my knowledge, and I'll get John to verify or call me a liar in a minute. Um, it is not illegal to close a business, uh, even if there's union organizing going on. It can be problematic though, um, not only from a PR perspective, but the le and the legal challenges that you'll face with an active campaign running, but for a number of other reasons. But I don't know, John. Do you want to kind of jump in and maybe set that up about what the what the law is in this regard? Uh, sure, I'll play lawyer and explain the law. Yeah, thanks. So, yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm here for. Um, yeah. So what we're dealing with here with both Starbucks and Chipotle is what the the law, right? The Supreme Court. The case dates. The the case. The case is um, Darlington Industries. It dates back to the '60s. So we're talking about long-standing, old, and a U.S. Supreme Court precedent, which talks about the difference between a full closure and a partial closure. Um, a business is always free, even when a union petition is pending. Um, to completely shutter its operations. We're not talking about a runaway shop. We're not talking about closing in Cleveland and reopening in Monterey, Mexico or or you know Shanghai, China. We're talking about a complete closure of the operation. That's fine um because it and in the words of the Supreme Court, it would be extremely unlikely for a business just to shut down um just to you know just to avoid the potential of having to collectively bargain with a group of employees uh, who agree to form who agree to form uh, a labor union. The 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 term that the word the Supreme Court used was startling uh, for an employer to put itself out of business just to avoid a union. 
that's not what we're dealing with here with the Starbucks, the 16 stores that Starbucks closed and the one that Chipotle has closed um, so far. We're talking about a partial closure and a partial closure under legal precedent is much more problematic for an employer uh, because an employer's decision to uh, partially shut down or to shut down a piece of its operation, such as you know a facility, a store, um, if it's done for the purpose of discouraging or inhibiting unionization at others of its locations, um, then the NLRB is going to conclude that the closure is based on an anti-union animus, anti-union animus, um, and is unlawful. So that's the lay of the land, legally speaking. So the question here, both for the Starbucks closures and the Chipotle closure, is kind of what is the purpose here behind the closure? And of course, the union says anti-union animus, and they're going to pound their fist on the table at their local NLRB office um, as they file their charge and as they argue their case in front of the in front of the ALJ, and they're going to be screaming anti-union animus. And this, you know, we have we have a petition pending, or we have petitions pending, and of course, this this has to do with the union. Um, and Chipotle has business reasons they can point to um, for the 16 stores they closed. Um, they can point to that, that, and they are pointing to, and they will point to a variety of safety issues um, uh, that you kind of mentioned in your in in your lead in. Um, and Chipotle has pointed to its, you know, lack of hiring. I think the store that they decided to close has already been closed for a month because they just couldn't staff it. Mm-hmm. And so the question I would ask, or if I was litigating this case, right, on behalf of Starbucks or on behalf of Chipotle, I would be marshalling as much evidence as I can to show that the decision was made independent of the union petitions. And for Starbucks, I, I think it's an easier argument because they they didn't close uh, the, the not even a majority of the stores have petitions pending. It's right. I think it's what's it's like 20 percent of the stores that they closed have petitions pending. Um, and, you know, it could be coincidence. Coincidence um, can be causation. It doesn't have to be. Um, but I, I'd want to know. You know, what about those three union stores made them look similar to the other non-union stores that were closed such that such that they were lumped in to the decision to close? And are there, you know, other non-union stores or non-organizing stores, for example, that have similar issues, similar safety concerns, complaints, um, what have you, uh, where those stores have remained open? And can I make an argument that there's some anti-union animus here. I think Chipotle might have the optics for Chipotle are clearly worse. I think it's the it's the the one store where a petition's been filed. Is that is that right? I it's think the only a, store where I, th- I think there's a second that has announced their intent, but I'm not sure if they filed. The 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 other one is in uh, like Grand Rapids, Michigan, or Ann Arbor. Or, no, I'm sorry, East Lansing, Michigan, where I went okay. to school at Michigan State University. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but it's the one store where an actual petition has been filed and that store is now closed. And, you know, I've been doing, I've been doing enough Chipotle's certainly in the last, uh, you know, couple of years, they all, I mean, everyone has staffing problems. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they, they all have signs in the doors that say, you know, the world is short staffed, you know, be kind to those, those who are working. And you can just tell, you can look behind, 
look behind the counter and see where there used to be six people back there. Now there's like two or three. And so everybody's short staffed. And so to say that that store is somehow different from the, the I mean, I don't know how many Chipotle, thousands of Chipotle's around the country. Um, it's going to be a really difficult argument. I, I, I think for Chipotle to make, to say, you know, this store is the staffing issues at this store are so much worse than every other non-organizing Chipotle store in the country that we had to close this one. Right. Um, <clears throat> so, so there's a couple, there's a couple things here, I guess, that, that come to mind. Number one, the, you know, one clear message is that people could infer it isn't necessarily the message that Chipotle is trying to send deliberately, but it certainly is there, is that if you unionize, we're going to close you down, right? You're not allowed to say that. You're not allowed to make that threat. Um, but by taking this action for the, you know, for a, allegedly a business related reason that they can't overcome. And I, you know, you just talked about whether or not that'll fly. It's, it's a great question and we'll see, I guess. Um, but they, they can do it, but, but let's just, and, and I know that Darlington that you just cited is, like you said, a longstanding Supreme Court case, but we're operating in a, in a changing environment in many ways, just like we saw SCOTUS reverse, you know, longstanding law. We've got an NLRB, which isn't as powerful as the as Supreme Court, but they're pretty, they're pretty agenda driven. Pretty, pretty darn activist, I would yeah, say. Pretty activist. So what, what is the, so it's, so it seems to me that Chipotle is, you know, the, I mean, is, is taking a risk, taking a risk here, but it has some, it has, it, it sends a message to every other Chipotle and every other associate in the company that hasn't and so they're, far they're, laid. They're, I, my guess is they're, I mean, they're taking a very calculated risk that we, we might have to bite the bullet on this one store. Right. Uh, but if it sends the message to every other Chipotle store that, you know, if you're talking to a labor union, uh, you might not have a job because we might shut you down and we'll take our chances in litigation. Yeah. Um, that is a, uh, and, you know, and look, the, and the NLRB, the NLRB twists in the wind in the political winds and we're two years from a presidential election. And so the, right. the activist NLRB we're looking at right now uh, might not be so active as two years from now or two and a half years from now. Yeah. So, um, and litigation is not, is, you know, is not a, you know, is never a quick or uh, or easy process. So right. Chipotle yeah, so, could so, drag so, it out, right? Yep. For a so long Chipotle time. is taking, I think, taking a calculator risk that we're gonna we're gonna close this store as a as a uh, the listeners can't see my air quotes, but there's you can right the right. The, the test the test case right. But we're gonna float this as the as the test case, and if it means that you know we know we're not gonna stop every store from organizing but if we can stop uh you know if we can cut down the number of stores that are that are going to organize from you know 200 to 100 or 300 to 150 or whatever um then that was a risk that was a calculated risk worth taking even though we think we're probably going to lose at the NLRB on the closure of that one that one store in Maine. So what, what, and I think, I, I mean, I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask you the question to, you know, to help other folks understand it, it, assuming the worst case here, the worst case outcome for Chipotle, right? They, they, they get it, they get, they get a charge. They go before the board, the board, you know, takes legal action, winds up, I guess, going for a 10 J injunction at some point. What's the worst possible outcome for Chipotle here? Could they be forced to reopen this store? Um, 
That's a really good question. I mean, the worst case situation would be uh, would be a bargaining order. Um, whether they could be forced to reopen the store, I'm not. I, I don't know if that's ever been done before. Mm-hmm. Um, but with this, but with this NLRB, I mean, who knows? Um, I'd be if I'm if I'm Chipotle's, you know, if I'm sitting in the the kind of C-suite at Chipotle, it at least gives me some concern that we can get an order for we can get an order from uh, the NLRB or a federal court saying, uh, you know, you can't you can't close this store because it was done for an unlawful purpose. You must open it. Yeah, I think that's a real possibility now yeah. as I kind of now, as I now kind of think through it. So so they they obviously if that if that was the case, then it would wind up back in the Supreme Court and we'd probably have another <laughs> another yeah, Darlington Darlington too, but it would be called Chipotle. Yeah. 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 Um yeah. And um yeah. So I think that's a real concern. And and it, and I think we talk about worst case. The worst case would be you have to open the store and we're going to because you have an irreparably damaged the laboratory conditions under which our election would have been held by closing the store in the first place illegally, uh, the employees can't get a fair election here. And so we're just going to, we're just going to implement a bargaining order. We're going to, we're going to certify the unit and order you Chipotle to bargain with the employees. I mean, that's, that's the worst case situation. Yeah. And, I, and there might, I, I could, I could also see with this board with damages, with their efforts to raise damages where there could be uh, reinstatement with back pay earnings yep. for, for several years. And, God knows what kind of compensatory. I know. I know compensatory isn't like normally a thing, but they're moving that way, right? That they right. want to have like trouble damages on top of or something. And stuff. Right, right, right. But you look yeah. at you know with, with Starbucks, right? We are whatever nine months, nine months yeah. into their organizing, right? About right. nine months into the organizing, and there's three hundred plus stores that have been or, that have that have are have been organized or or are working down that route. Um, this is number one for Chipotle. <laughs> so, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And so to say you can look at the 13 stores that Starbucks closed, um, even though there were more stores, um, I think much harder to tie the anti-union animus, given that there were non-union stores uh, and, not, and non-organizing stores that were closed uh, majority wise, uh, number one. But number two, I think even if all 13 of those stores were um, uh, stores in which the union uh, in which a union was, was trying to organize the employees, I can make a really good argument that even though the number of stores is more, the closure of the first store, a Chipotle restaurant to be organized has a, would have a much greater impact on future organizing campaigns at other Chipotle locations because they mm-hmm. are really trying to nip this nip this in the bud and say we we are not going to allow ourselves to become another Starbucks. Yeah, and I, I mean where I live here in Lakeland, Florida, you know, thinking back, I, I lived here I lived here until 2014 and then I left for five years. And in the in the five years that I was gone, I can tell you that at least three Starbucks locations. I mean they've they closed an old older building and maybe opened a new store, you know, down the street or something. But like, this is something that Starbucks does all the time for a wide variety of reasons. You know, they remodel, they close. I mean, they're, I, I agree with you. They're, they're like, they're the struck, the way they structured their decision, even if you, even if you ascribe union animus to it in some way, 
is much easier explained. I mean, it's, it's still worth an argument in court, I guess, and at the NLRB and all that. But yeah, short, think- uh, short a smoking gun memo that says we're going to close 10 non-union stores in order to give ourselves cover to close the three union stores, uh, which I can guarantee you does not exist. Um, <laughs> nobody, no general counsel will let that in writing. Um, so short of that smoking gun email, I think this is structured really well to insulate the closure of those three um, those three union stores from a finding of animus. Okay. So, so the wrap there is if you're, if you're dealing with a union campaign, threats to close the business are illegal, that kind of stuff, but it doesn't mean that you can't run your business. Um, it doesn't mean there's well, not I think threats to, thre- threats to threats to threats to close the business are illegal. You can actually close the business as long as you close the entire business. Mm-hmm. You can't threaten to do it, but you can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you're closing uh, you know, a piece or part or parcel of the business, uh, you can do it as long as it's not done for an anti-union reason. And then you get into a factual analysis of what is or isn't anti-union animus. Yeah. And, and just just to be clear, as like a transparent disclosure, we're not advocating anybody close anything. Um, this is just something that as you go through a lot of these complex kind of business uh, developments that are happening to companies like Chipotle and Starbucks, you know, we're dealing with labor unions and, and so forth. There are many, many things that you you don't necessarily think about, have to think about if, if that situation doesn't exist. So this is something you definitely want to take a look at and make sure you understand all the nuances of it's a yeah, absolutely kind of with a lot of, lot of potential attached risk. Um, so let's switch over uh, and let's, let's let you kind of steer for a minute. I know that you've been... Uh, Kind of keeping an eye on things that are happening, and you you have an affinity for the the uh, craft brew of environment. That you know, I was looking for a beer, you know, like we could do beer tastings, but I we're doing this during working hours, so that's not a good look for us either. You know, for uh, the- I, I am I am more I am more than happy to shift our recording time to happy hour. That's that's, <laughs> that's, that's fine, it's fine with me. All we're right, well. You're not, you're not going to get any argument from me and we can do a, we can do a beer of the month segment. I think you're, I think you're onto something. Cool. Let, well, we'll talk about that off, offline, but I'm not opposed <laughs> to that same idea either. I, I have a beer every now and then. So Bill, let's, let's talk about what, what I, um, like what you're seeing. I know it's not as active as a Starbucks campaign, that kind of stuff, but what's going on in the craft brewery industries these days with relation with labor relations. Yeah, so I do affinity for him, and I I like so I have an affinity for beer. Um, I'm not to sound like Brett Kavanaugh, but I I, I like beer. Um, mm-hmm. and um, and I do run a I do chair the the craft beer practice at my law firm, uh, OhioBeerLawyers.com for uh, a cheap plug for myself. Um, mm-hmm. but um, uh, and the the labor issues in the craft beer industry are interesting to me because it definitely has not gained the traction like we haven't seen the mass organizing that we've seen elsewhere in the hospital you know in, in the hospitality space we haven't so we've we've as as far as i know and i do keep an eye on this i haven't seen a petition filed against a craft brewery anywhere nationwide since the latest wave of organizing i mean there are some craft breweries that have organized in the past like anchor brewing in san francisco's organized um uh 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 uh, there's a brewery in in Minneapolis, um, uh, Fair State, which is uh, organized. Um, Great Lakes Brewery in Cleveland, which is Ohio's oldest and largest craft brewery. Uh, there was talk a year a year or so ago of the Teamsters um, organizing, but a petition has not been filed yet. So it's 
don't know what's going on there. They started a Facebook page, um, and uh, but I have not seen any uh, a petition has not been filed yet. So I, that's that they've gone radio silent. Um, but there continues to be talk around the industry surrounding the issues of unionization. Uh, the uh, Craft Brewers Conference took place in Minneapolis um, uh, in the spring. Uh, there was no panels officially at the conference on unionization, not a lot on really employee-focused issues either, um, but there was some kind of unofficial um, panels and roundtables that went, that took place kind of kind of after hours um, uh, surrounding the issues of unionization in the, craft, in the craft beer industry. So it's definitely on people's radar. I'm in a couple of Facebook groups where the issue, uh, you know, craft beer focused Facebook groups where the issue pops up um, uh, semi regularly. I was a participant in an, in an online uh, 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 beer conference. Um, the panel was on kind of fair compensation and people lost their freaking minds when um, I was announced as one of the speakers because how dare a quote union busting attorney have an opinion on you know fair what what fair pay looks like for employees and they actually the the, the organizer of the conference um i think out of concern that he was going to lose his constituency uh, because he was getting so much pushback for having me on um went out and found a rep from the IWW came on to take part in the panel as well so he got that kind of union voice on the panel um there's so much smoke that's kind of around the issue of unionization in craft beer that I think that, I mean, that fire has to light eventually because there's, there's just too many employees that are out online talking about it on in Facebook groups, you know, in Reddit, you know, in, in, you know, beer and employee focused subreddits, there's just way too much talk out there about, you know, we need unions in craft beer that I, I, fully believe particularly as this wave of unionization does not appear to be slowing down what the, the latest numbers were like petitions are up like 58 percent through the first half of 2022 i think was the latest number i saw yeah, yeah. um yeah like petitions and it's so heavily geared in the hospital i mean starbucks is driving a lot of this but it is really heavily hospitality focused mm -hmm. and so um i, I think primarily because of the generational kind of issues um, that seem to be driving this unionization and the fact that like you can't pick up a restaurant or a brewery um, and or a coffee shop, you know, and move it to Mexico or China, right? Like you right. can with like you can with a manufacturing facility. So um, yeah, so much of this is hospitality driven that I would be shocked if we don't start to see the organizing petitions filed, you know, in breweries in the next, you know, three to six months. Yeah. It's not, I mean, the industry is not aligned unless you think of, I guess, like syntax or, you know, sin products or whatever you want to call them. The, 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 the cannabis industry is heavily, heavily, uh, it, it's got a lot of campaign activity going on. There's a lot of elections. Right. There's a lot of, a lot of neutrality agreements. There's a lot of just recognizing, um, I don't, I'm not, not implying that brewery and cannabis is exactly the same, but I think there's some, there's some sort of like, um, what am I trying to say? I, I, I think that the, 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 the idea of people who do craft brewery, they're kind of a, 
you know, it's kind of a cool cachet driven thing. It's not viewed as like a, you know, gr grungy shop job or something. Right. I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I guess it, it feels like they're cool employers and, but I don't know if that's like real life. So I was going to ask you like, what, what, are, what is the culture at, at these craft breweries? Are they generally viewed as benevolent employers or are they, is it all over the map? Like any other industry? It's, it's, it's all over the map. Like any industry, what I've largely discovered representing craft breweries is, and th there are some exceptions um, of people like business people who look at them as investments and buy them as investment and then bring in the beer people to make the beer by and large if you walk into any random craft brewery anywhere across the United States, the story you will hear will be something like, um, I started brewing beer in my garage as a hobby five years ago. People told me I was really good at it. So I decided to you know, make a small investment in a small brewing system and lease a space and start a business. They know a lot about brewing beer um, and not a ton about running a business. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so the beer might be great and they might fall into being really good business people, but that is more, that is more accident than design. It's there's, there's not a tremendous amount of business acumen that supports a lot of these, that supports a lot of these businesses. Um, a lot of them are still, uh, particularly the smaller ones are, are, you know, managed like hobbies, not like a, you know, not like an actual like business. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And it's, you know, and it's fun and that leads, and that leads to its own set of problems. Um, there's been a lot of backlash in the industry, um, for sexism and racism. Uh, so there's been a lot of those issues that have been swirling around the industry, um, for years that have, that the me too movement, um, did help bring to a head. And there are people, there are activists out there within the industry that are working hard um, to make that better um, because it need it needs, it needs to be made better. And so that's, that's out there. There's lots of discussions about, um, you know, about compensation. I mean, the, what, and, you know, whether, you know, brewery employees are, you know, are compensated fairly for what they do. They're not always the most high high paying jobs in the world, but they're fun jobs. And so yeah. a, lot of, a lot of times they're the trade-off is viewed as you're, you're doing something you love. And so, and, you know, serve hospitality don't always, don't always have the, don't always have the greatest margins and the pay isn't always great. Right. Um, and so, you know, the trade-off is, you're, you know, you're making beer, you're doing something, you, you're doing something you love. Um, but, you know, but there's a lot of, when you go into a lot of these beer Facebook groups and subreddits, a lot of the conversations you hear you do tend to hear a lot of the what what I'll call the kind of socialist narrative that seems to be undercutting a lot of the organizing that's going on right now, which is, you know, I work hard, I deserve my fair share. It's not fair that, you know, ownership has, you know, is taking the lion's share of the profits. They, you know, those profits should be shared with me. You know, the I'm the worker. They, you know, without me, they can't, you know, they can't run the brewery. So I deserve my fair share, whatever. Except that it's not their, you know, it's not their money on the line, right? They don't have the risk. It's a job right. for them, right? They haven't made the investment. They haven't bought, you know, they haven't invested, you know, you know, six figures in a brewing system that if, you know, that if they don't make their, 
you know, if they don't make their loan payment, you know, the bank is going to come and seize everything. And then right. they're, you know, and then the business shut down. So all the risk is on the business owner. And that I think is that I think is the part that get lost, that gets lost. But there is there is a lot of that narrative, uh, particularly if you go out kind of online and kind of look at what's going on. And that's that's largely is driving why I feel that, you know, given all that chatter, it's really only a matter of time before we start to see the petitions come. And I think when they come, they're going to come in. I think they're going to come in droves. Gotcha. It makes sense. And, and you know, and you start delving under the hood, a lot of any business, you start getting me too issues and racist charges and lack of pay. All of a sudden you're dealing sort of in that classic set of issues that drives campaign organizing because people can't get, they can't feel like their employers aren't paying attention to what they need. And take yeah. Care of, and, right? you know, and on top of that, you know, you, and in, in this, in this industry, you add out, you add alcohol to the mix too, which when you talk about like the me too type issues, when you start adding things like people drinking on the job, because right. that is, that is part, that is part of the culture. Um, in a lot of these breweries that adds, you know, that adds a lot of, um, it, it, it adds fuel to the, to the, to the me too fire because, you know, yeah. inhibitions come down and, you know, and, you know, the waitresses sometimes for better or for worse dress the way they dress because they want to get tips. And then the, the, you know, the male employees start, you know, have a, have a pop or two after work. And then, you know, one thing leads to another and, and, you know, and it creates for an, an awful work environment for some people. And, um, and you add to that some perceptions in the industry that, you know, like women can't be brewers and a lot of the awful things that women have to put up with, not on this, not on the hospitality side, but actually on the beer side of, you know, this is a male industry and, you know, there's no place in this industry for women um, or minorities. Um, it's the, the, there are systemic problems in the industry that need to be cleaned up. And, and, uh, there are thankfully, uh, people that are working very, very hard to do that. Yeah. And, and some, some, some companies won't figure it out and get it right and eventually take advantage of it to make their business better and be able to attract better talent and keep it and do, do all the good, get all the good benefits from being a positive employer, right. Instead of a, sort of a problem with an employer. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, and I keep, I, I keep my eye on the industry, obviously, and I kind of know who the good employers are and who are the, who are the not so good employers. And I, mm -hmm. I at least locally try to speak with my wallet and try not to try not to financially support the breweries that have a history of um, not treating their employees quite so well. So well, maybe, maybe one of these days we'll have a, uh, 2022 worst brewery employee employers <laughs> whatever forget what you call your series the yeah, worst employers worst, of the worst year. employer uh, i have a list so. yeah 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 so <laughs> but don't want it. we don't want to get into that i i, I don't know how many uh you know brew craft brew brewery owners will ever listen to drive through but i'm sure we have some people who try craft brews from the time to time to listen. So I think that was interesting. Well, that conversation, those two took a little bit longer than I thought. I'd like to touch on one more, but we'll have to kind of cut it short in interest of time. And you may have to do go do some billing or something. Um, nah, whatever. It's Friday. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, well, then we'll, we'll talk for a few more minutes then. Um, <laughs> so the, the other one, and we're going to bring us back to Starbucks because right now in the world of labor relations, Starbucks is kind of like the 800 pound gorilla in the corner. You really can't talk about anything that's going on in 2022 without somehow rolling them up into, into the equation because they are they really are like an unprecedented story over the last several decades of, of labor relations. So it's, it's always interesting. But anyway, so the other Starbucks story, and, and then I'll tie in another employer, 
um, the other Starbucks story that's kind of been kind of big, it, this isn't as new, is they have announced uh, a series of improvements to their wages and benefits and kind of their employee value proposition, if you will, some changes to make things better because it, it's pretty clear that it's it's been broken for a while in some ways, right? So they they made this announcement and it it I, I, and I'm not going to try to articulate all the stuff. It, it had some 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 improvements that were significant. Um, they made this announcement and and it will go into effect at 9,000 or however many Starbucks stores they own, except for any store that has announced and expressed an, an interest in unionizing. And their take on that is that because they're in the process of organizing, they're in a laboratory condition. They can't implement changes without until they resolve the union issue and know whether they have to sit down and negotiate such benefits with the union or not. Yeah, of course. Uh, the the <laughs> if I can play if I can play union side lawyer for a second, I mean the 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 counter argument is. Um, you're threatening these workers with uh, a deduction, with a deduction in pay, um, if they if they vote to if if they vote to organize, or just by the mere fact of organizing, which is uh, obviously uh, or maybe not so obviously illegal. Yep, and, and this leads to headlines like you know Starbucks threatens to take away gender affirming benefits for their trans employees and that kind of stuff, which is a whole. It's not a great look. Not a great look. It's not a great look. Yeah. yeah. So, but, but there is some, there is some legal credibility to the argument, right? Uh, of the, I mean, they have to bargain. Most of the, the union, the Starbucks workers union has said, we'll bargain. We'll take all the stuff you're giving everybody else. Thanks. That's kind of, that's kind yeah, of been right. their response, but that's not, bar that's technically not bargaining. That, but that's not bargaining. That's, that's just agreeing to something that's been put kind of laid at your feet. Um, right. Yeah, I mean there there is there is some merit to the um we have you you have an, an obligation you, you can't implement terms and conditions including wages right without bargaining with the union over them and and if Starbucks unilaterally gave these employees a pay raise they would be violating their they they'd be violating their their obligation to bargain um in, in good faith with the union over those over those pay raises over those pay raises um Arguably, I, I think the I, I think the difference potentially is stores that have already organ already voted to organize where Starbucks is probably correct that they can't, you know, once the union's in and certified and that bargaining obligation attaches, you can't um, unilaterally do anything right the, the, as, as an employer, you have to bargain as compared to stores where employees are talking about organizing or uh you know you know cards have already been presented a, and a petition's a already been, peti yeah, pending where petitions already been filed yeah. yeah um there the bargaining obligation you know may attach if the or will attach if the union wins but hasn't attached yet and i think that the, the union's argument which i think even though i i you know i wear a management side hat that's what that's what that's what funds my paycheck. Um, I think the union are the union's argument there is to me is the more persuasive one, which is you're by denying the pay raise to those stores where, a, you know, where a petition is pending and, and, and an election is going to be held. You are, you are telling employees that we're not going to give you this raise unless you've, unless you, you, you won't get this raise unless you vote no. 
And if you vote yes, then you know we have to bargain with your union and the pay and the raise. I mean that that's the whether whether it's being expressly said of the subtext here that you know, the raise might be different if anything at all because then it's it's an agreement between us and the union. At that point, we can't unilaterally do anything. And so, to me, it looks very much like uh, whether you view it as a threat that if you unionize, you're not going to get the raise, or a promise uh, if you vote no, uh, you'll get the raise. Um, in either however whichever side of the coin you kind of look at it through whichever lens you look at it through not to mix my metaphors um you it's illegal interesting and then there's the other example i was going to bring up is kind of like the smaller version of it where there's two stores this is trader joe's who has two uh pending elections one will be run one will be voted on next week in in massachusetts and then one a couple weeks later in um minneapolis i think and and they they similarly to starbucks came out uh, yesterday, I guess, and announced a massive number of changes to their to their uh, pay and benefit structure, uh, $10 an hour extra on Sundays and extra holidays and some, you know, some other stuff. And, and they, they're granting this unilaterally to all their non-union stores. And then they, they sent a letter or an email, I guess, to the, uh, the, the unions at the two stores, to the employees at the two stores who are trying to unionize. And they told them the exact opposite of what Starbucks said is they, they kind of, they took a, like a, we're going to do this in a different way. We're going to not going to give this to you now. We can't give it to you legally because we can't do anything until the election status is resolved. But once the election status is resolved, we're going to go ahead and give you this stuff too, is kind of how I read the memo. Does that, does that kind of reflect what that's, you read? That's, that's how I read it. And it's definitely a different message then it, it to me it's a different message than what starbuck delivered now if the if the union wins um trader joe's can't can't give the raise without bargaining with it over the bargaining uh with the union over that raise if the if the union loses and then that's trader joe's can do whatever it wants unilaterally yep. with the employees but yeah that's how i that's how i read that memo and it's um it at least it at least gives Trader Joe's the cover of um, uh, trying to uh, not look like the employees are being punished um, for potentially or for for trying to organize. Um, you know, and and the memo makes the memo makes clear they say it like the only reason we're delaying implementation is because we can't buy votes um, or or take any action that can give or can give the appearance that we're trying to influence the outcome of the election. So they're, they've, um, they, they, I think they, this is like, you know, the Starbucks comp scheme, like 2.0, they clearly looked at what Starbucks did and decided, eh, we don't think we think that's got like some that. problems. Yeah. Let's, let's see if we can, let's see if we can uh, uh, make this a little more NLRB proof. Um, and it looks like they may have. Yeah, so so there seems to be two likely outcomes. One is if they lose the election in those two stores, then they bargain and they have a ground floor to start from, then probably bargain to match or something like that, which would be fine, assuming they, they bargain and get an agreement. The other one is if the union loses the election though, this is where the risk comes in. The union now has a guaranteed objection to, to say that the, the only reason that we lost the election is um, Trader Joe's all but promised them an, an increase without consulting us on this. Correct. Point, right? Correct. 
Yeah. So. And, you know, and, you know, with this, with, again, with the current composition of the NLRB and the NLRB, uh, uh, Jennifer Abruzzo, the general counsel's um, uh, attempt to rewrite the National Labor Relations Act to make it much more union friendly. I mean, all bets are off in terms of how the NLRB is going to is is going to view this. Yeah. So so in, in the other piece, and then this will be kind of be the wrap up. Um, it, the, the really interesting piece is um, it's not the same attorneys, but the, the really interesting piece is it's the same law firm kind of designing these strategies and kind of going down not parallel paths, but almost like diverging paths in terms of their strategy. And it may be a 2.0 or may, as you said, maybe maybe Trader Joe's didn't like the Starbucks look. Uh, but it's interesting to kind of watch these things uh, develop because we, we don't see stuff like this that much and in and, and happening on a regular basis like it is right we, now. We, yeah, we, we haven't for years. And now we're seeing um, this just constant barrage of organizing stories, right? News. Um, and yeah, it's been it's been fascinating to watch how, how all this has developed. And, and, and we, we may have several years to wait until we see what the final outcomes are. <laughs> yeah. uh, we may, we may. And yeah, so where it's, you know, almost August 2022, there will be a presidential election in 27 months um, and a new president in uh, presumably there'll, there'll be either the same president or a new president, either from one party or the other in 20, you know, in whatever, 30 months, give it yeah. 29, 30 months, give or take whatever. And, um, you know, the NLRB is politically appointed and, yeah. and its policies change based on the, whoever sits in the Oval Office. And so this, while I don't think the wave of union organizing is going to die down anytime soon. I think employees have been activated and I think it's going to take a while for that activation to kind of level itself out. Um, the help they're getting from the board might, um, if uh, a Republican wins in, in 2024, that the help that unions are getting from the current composition of the board and its general counsel, um, that might get, that spigot might get turned off. Yeah, for sure. Well, listen, this has been great discussion. Um, I, I love nerding out on this kind of stuff. So <laughs> it's and it's hard to it's hard to, to fit it into the normal drive through format. So I'm excited to uh, to be able to you know look forward to sitting down with you once or twice a month or whatever it turns out to be and kind of hashing over this stuff. I hope that uh, for those of you that are will eventually download and listen, I hope the discussion was useful. If you're interested in anything particular. Uh, feel free to reach out to John or I, you know, at LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever. And let us know if there's something you'd like to like to hear about it. There's a lot going on and employers struggle with this stuff. And there's a high, you know, I guess that's the end of it, John, the labor lawyers at those at the law firm that we shall not name. Uh, the labor lawyers over there are, are are raking in the dough right now with all, all the stuff that's going on. There, there, there are some kids that are going to have great Christmases this year. <laughs> I, I was thinking that uh, you know that uh, dad might have a might have a new boat, a bigger boat. But yeah, it, we, right, yeah there's yeah, right. There's a couple of <laughs> either way, either there's, way. There's a couple. There's a couple of new cars and a really nice vacation in some people's futures. Exactly. Well, anyway, listen. Like you said, it's Friday, so let's wrap this thing up. And I hope you have a good weekend. I hope everybody else. Uh, has a great rest of the week and we'll we'll do this again sometime in a couple weeks down the road thanks john have a great weekend awesome cheers take care bye